Well, good morning. Oh, y'all can do a little better than that, I'm sure. Good morning. It's good to be with you today and have the opportunity to share God's Word with you. Be with my friend Josh and have the opportunity of being uh, at New Rocky Creek where Brother Randy and I both uh, went to the same seminary together. I remember Randy calling me and asking me, uh, should he go to uh, get a doctorate's degree at Luther Rice Seminary? I said, you need to get it before it gets you. Uh, it takes a while to get one of those. And so I was just ahead of him in that program and have loved and appreciated Randy through the years. We're going to look at Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8. If you got your Bibles, I want you to turn there. While you turn, I want to say it's also not only good to see Josh and uh, see how God is using him here and how God is blessing the church, but also see some old friends from Midway. Midway Baptist was started by High Point Baptist Church in Covington back in 1960. And um, now it has transitioned twice. It transitioned to Living Waters Church, and now it is a, a totally black church in that community. It's reaching uh, the Pleasant View Baptist Church, bought the building. That's the oldest black Baptist church in Newton County. And God is still using that place touch people's lives. So a couple of folks from Midway are here that I got a chance to catch up with too. Ms. Nelda Stiles uh, went to Midway with us years ago and also Mr. Guy Tucker uh, also got a connection with the Rabin family here because Kathy's mom and dad, Joel and Bernice Brown, who many of you know, uh, Joel uh, serves with our Bow Mission Builders, is on staff with us at the Stone Mountain Association. And years ago, when I started in church planting, Josh, uh, Joel and Bernice opened up their home for us to have a Bible study there. And Kathy was kind of like this. Remember that, Kathy? Yeah. <laughs> and so she was a teenager at that time. So it's always good to be back and to make connections with people. I want to call to your attention this passage of Scripture. One thing that I get a chance to do, an opportunity to do, is to go into talking churches about stewardship. It's a subject that I love, and it's the most talked about subject in the Bible. I did some adjunct teaching at Luther Rice on stewardship, and also I go in and help churches raise capital funds. And um, this passage is a stewardship passage, but it's also a passage about grace. And uh, I want to remind you of that as we start today, and that we and I have been recipients of God's grace. And we have the opportunity of sharing that. I was really intrigued by this campaign you just finished about inviting your neighbor. Let me just tell you a story about somebody inviting their neighbor in DeKalb County. Our association covers all of that part of DeKalb County from Clarkston, uh, 285 outside from 78 Highway all the way south to the county lines. And uh, one of our youth pastors at a church, they were out giving out blankets a couple years ago into the, st the extended stay motels that are in the Clarkston and Stone Mountain area that are just filled with a bunch of refugees and a lot of people that uh, don't look or have the same language as you and I do. And in the process of doing so, Brother Darrell and his wife, who happened to be African American, encountered a lady that was carrying with her a Delta carry-on bag, and she was a Muslim. She had the headdress on the whole nine yards, and she came in to the uh, motel there and was asking for a room. There wasn't any room available, 
And she was told that. And she said, I've been walking all up and down Memorial Drive trying to find a place to stay. And she was carrying a child, an infant, in her arms. And so Daryl and Mary decided they would take her home. You talk about beating your neighbors and going home. They took this lady and her son home with them. She had just gotten off the airplane at the Atlanta airport, had been told that she could go out to Memorial Drive, find a place to stay. So she had gotten a ticket, uh, gotten a, a cab to Memorial Drive and was walking up and down the street in the wintertime trying to find a place to stay for the night. The reason she was in the U.S. is she had looked up a doctor on the Internet that was an expert in the field of medicine that her daughter needed because her daughter was uh, very sick. And she had uh, taken all the money that she had and that she could gather up and had bought an airline ticket to come to the United States to be able to have her daughter seen by that doctor. So Mary and Daryl kept her in her home. They kept her there all weekend. They took her to church on Sunday with them at Truth Tabernacle of Praise Church. And uh, that church is a very dynamic, different church. There's 17 to 20 languages of the world and nations represented in the church. Then on Monday morning, Daryl and Mary took her to the doctor. They got to the doctor's office, and they're looking on the computer, and they said, well, we're sorry, ma'am, but we don't have an appointment for your child. And she just began to weep. She said, I made one online. And she said, I know that I'm supposed to be here today at 10 o'clock. And they started looking. They said, well, let us see what we can do, see if we can't work you in. You ever had to be worked in on an appointment? We'll see if we can't work you in. Well, within 15 minutes, they came back. Somebody called and said, called in and canceled an appointment, and they said that uh, the appointment was available. Would she like to take it? She did. And she became, uh, she got help for her child. They were able to have some, one of these doctor's offices attached to Emory where she could get some housing for her while the child was being treated long term. And there, uh, they were sitting there, and the social worker came in and said, would you like to have someone from your faith to come and visit with you and to be here with you as you go through this ordeal with your child? And here's what she said. She said, don't call someone from the Muslim faith. I'm going to stay with these Christians because Christians cared about me. Folks, I'm just telling you, that what makes a difference in this world is when we extend the grace that's been given to us to someone else and we communicate that we care about other people. Paul cared enough about these churches that he wrote letters back to them. And this is what he had to say to the church at uh, Corinth about what was happening at the church at Macedonia. Look with me at chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Version of the Bible. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed and a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints and not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, 
so he should also complete among you this act of grace. You see that? Act of grace. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this as a command, rather by means of diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. For you know, listen, listen to these words, you know the, love, the, know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Would you bow with me and ask God's blessing on the reading of his word? Father God, bless your word. Bless these words that I've prepared and use them, Lord, and help us to be able to see you this morning as we sang a moment ago and Garrett led us, that we may see Jesus, and Lord, that we may be changed from hearing your word today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Some of the greatest lessons in life are learned by examples, following somebody's examples. And you know what? You and I can be a good example or we can be a bad example. And sometimes we don't realize it, but all, all the time, actually, not just sometimes, somebody is watching us, listening to us, and seeing the kind of example that we're being for Jesus Christ. The reason I know that is because it happened to me. My grandson was riding with me in the back seat in the car seat one day down Highway 138 in Conyers, and every time we came to a traffic light, there was a guy right in front of me, and I, and I stopped at every light. You know, sometimes you go down the road and every light catches you. I had to stop at every one of those traffic lights. And I'm one of those folks that talks to the cars and around me. Anybody else talk to cars like they can listen to you when you're driving? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Come on, there's more than one or two of you nodding your head. You know what I'm talking about? So I was talking to those cars, and this guy in front of me, evidently, that was before we had these no cell phone holding rules and all that. He must have been playing with his cell phone or doing something because every time I'd say, move it along, buddy. And next thing I know, he'd start. The light had already changed and he's just sitting there. So after about the sixth light, a little voice in the back seat said, move it along, buddy. It's time to get on. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, look what example I'm making for him and his life. Paul offers two examples of giving. One in this passage is a human example, and that is the church at Macedonia. The other one is a divine example, and that example is the life of Jesus Christ himself. The Macedonian churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. We've got letters to Thessalonica and also to Philippi that were written by Paul, were born in persecution. They were being persecuted for the faith that existed as outcasts in the world, and according to the world, they had little to offer. They didn't have much to offer to the world, but to God, they had everything to offer. And so many times we look at ourselves and say, I don't have much to offer to God. And the reality of it is, you've got more than you think you do, and you need to be aware that God has blessed you, and God wants you to use what he's given to you to be a blessing to others. So to those whom Paul call, uh, holds up before his examples, are characterized because of their sacrifice. And we can learn a lot by their example. So I want you to look at these examples. The first one is the example of the Macedonian church. 
And the Macedonian church was an example. In verse 1 it says, Now I want you to know about the grace, brothers and sisters, that God has given to the churches of Macedonia. Did you see that word grace? Someone described the word grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. And so he said, I want you to know about the grace that was given to that church. And then he described that word grace, and it's defined by three things. First of all, grace is a natural tendency for God. But what is not natural is grace is not natural for us. Grace is giving when we don't expect anything, and we don't deserve anything. And what you and I do is we give, and God wants us to give, we give because God has graciously given to us, and we want to give to others. It's a stiff arm love. It's not giving back and saying, hey, what are you going to give to me? I've given to you. What am I going to get? It's giving regardless. It's not a what's in it for me kind of love. It's charged and it's changed the heart of a believer. And it's God's grace that brings about that change. And then it's grace exemplified. The Macedonians exemplified grace in their lives by giving to others. Now what Paul was doing was he was going around to all these churches and he was collecting an offering. And he was collecting an offering for the poor saints that were back at Jerusalem because they were going through severe persecution and Paul was going to Macedonia, to Corinth and other places saying, would you help him to give to this offering for the poor that are in Jerusalem? The problem was, the challenge was, these Macedonians were poor themselves. It tells us in the scripture here, they gave out of their extreme poverty. They gave even though they didn't have it to give, and they gave because they had accepted Jesus in their lives, and they had been given grace, Christ's riches at God's, expense, God's riches at Christ's expense, and so they were willing to give willingly to others. But then also the thing about grace is sometimes we deny to give grace to other people. What I'm talking about there is if somebody treats us bad, we want to treat them bad as well. Somebody speaks bad about our family, we want to speak bad about them, or we want to be defensive about what our family is about. And the reality of it is, is we're just supposed to be giving grace to other people. It's probably hard for some people to understand what grace is, first of all, because some people don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And you may be here today, and you don't know Christ. You have never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Then you don't know what I'm talking about, because you've not ever received the grace of God and given your life to Jesus Christ, surrendered yourself to him, and he's changed your life. And when he changes your life, he changes the way you think about giving as well. Are you not aware of all that you've been given and therefore, you need to allow God to work in your heart and in your life. The reality of it is, you and I can't outgive God. God has given us so much, and we've been so blessed. Now, I want you to notice how these people at Macedonia gave. They gave according to their ability. It says in the scripture, in verses 2 and 3, if you'll notice there again with me, it tells us, during the severe trial brought about by affliction, that tells you they were in persecution. They were being persecuted for their faith. Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. 
So here they are, extreme poverty, but they had joy. Why did they have joy in poverty? Because they had Jesus. They had a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And even in their poverty, it overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They had overflowing willingness to give to others. And I testify that according to their ability, even beyond their own accord, they gave, they begged us for the opportunity of giving. You see, a lot of times the attitude of people in church is this. Well, I gave what I could, or I can't afford to give much, or I can, I can only give so much, I can only afford to give so much. You ever heard those things? Those things have gone through my mind before too, and they've gone through yours. Well, I can't afford to give much right now. And the reality of it is, grace giving is giving beyond our time. And a lot of times we say, well, you know, I, I tithe, and so I'm okay. But the reality of it is, the Bible says the tithe belongs to God. And so until you've given above a tithe, if the tithe belongs to God, then you haven't given God anything. Because the tithe is whose? It's God's. And so we've got to give above a tithe, a grace gift. That's what Paul was asking for them. Above a tithe a grace gift to the poor that were in Jerusalem. And so if we do that, we don't do that with the attitude, well, I can't afford to, or I don't have it to give. The reality of it is we can't afford not to give to a God who loves us. That's what the Macedonians did. They gave what they had. The most severe trial, overflowing joy. You remember the story of the widow that came and Jesus was standing by the, as they received the offering, and there were a lot of people that gave a whole lot more, but who did he commend for their giving? I'm glad you answered that. Thank you. Who did he commend for their giving? It was a widow, and she gave two mites, and a mite's not even as big as a penny in our day, but that's all she gave, and he stopped the giving, and he commended her, and he said, I'm commending her because she gave all she had. She didn't hold back. She was willing to give. She was willing to give to a God who had given to her. And so it says that, for they gave out of their surplus, she gave out of her poverty. See, for somebody who's got a lot, they can say, well, it's not a problem for me to give because I got much. But for somebody who doesn't have much, it's a sacrifice to give but it's one worthy of being made. They gave what they had, severe trial, overflowing joy. They gave beyond their ability. In other words, when Paul went to that city in Macedonia, he saw how poor they were. He saw the affliction they were experiencing. And yet, he commended them because they gave more than he expected them to give. Because he thought they can't give. They can't afford to give, and God was saying they can't afford not to give and participate in this offering. And they gave rich generosity beyond their ability entirely on their own. Did you see that? Entirely on their own. And so it tells us very clearly how we're to give. I can testify, even beyond their ability, of their own accord, and verse number three is how they gave. Nobody twisted their arm behind their back and said, come down here and give. 
Nobody guilted them into giving. They gave because God had given to them. Ability is a key word here because ability did not limit their giving. And then the people at Macedonia gave because they had a commitment to God. Verse number 4 and 5, if you'll look along with me again to see the scripture. They paid us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we'd hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Every time it referred to the offering, it referred to the offering being an act of Garrett was leading music. He said, this is an offertory him. I didn't see anybody begging for the offering plate to come their way. Did you see anybody say, whoa, wait a minute, let me give first. Anybody pleading for the offering plate? Sometimes what people do is they reach in their pocket and they say, hmm, you know, I don't know if I want to give today or I don't have it to give or I can't afford to give. And the Bible says here that this church, the Macedonians, pleaded with Paul to give. In other words, the way I picture it is, is Paul probably was saying, these folks can't afford to give and I'm not going to ask them to because they're in such poverty. But yet they came and they said, let me give. Don't exclude us from giving to this offering. And so they gave, and I want you to notice their pattern to giving. First it says they gave to the Lord. It's a simple principle. If God is your priority, then giving will be a priority too. First to the Lord, then notice that goes right along with Matthew 6.33. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So they sought God first, and they gave to the Lord first. And it's a simple principle. If God is your priority, listen, giving will be your priority. Giving will be your priority. You see, I can figure out how, what your priority is by looking at two things you got with you probably right now. If I ask you for them, I can tell you real quick what your priority is. Your checkbook and your calendar. Where you spend your money and where you spend your time will dictate where your priorities are. So I want you maybe to go back and do a review. Look at where you're spending all your time, where you're spending your money. It will tell you where your priorities are in our lives today. Then it said he gave to the apostles. After the Macedonians gave themselves to God, they went to Paul and they said, Paul, what can we do for you? How can we be a blessing to you? Because Paul was a tent maker. Paul was bivocational. Paul had another job. Paul wasn't being paid to go out here and do this missionary work. Paul was serving because he loved the Lord and he was willing to serve. So it says they gave to the apostles, those that were bringing the gospel, because they were a blessing. I don't know that you probably realize this, and you may, Brother Randy's probably taught this, but the revelation tells us that they referred to the pastors as the angels of the church. And I've often thought about that. Why would they refer to the pastors, Josh, as being the angels? Angels herald out praises to God, right? What do pastors do? They herald out the good news about Jesus Christ. And so the reality of it is we should make sure that our pastors, those that serve us, are taken care of. And that's what this church understood. And then they gave to the saints as well. When asked what they could do, Paul probably said, well, I'm taking an offering, but I know you can't afford to give, 
I'm not going to ask you to give. But they replied something like this, Paul, Paul, please give us the opportunity to give. Don't deprive us of this privilege of giving. They begged for the privilege of giving. Did you see anybody begging for the offering plate? One of my churches is called Church at the Grove that we started a number of years ago in Walnut Grove, Georgia. They call their offering plate, Brother Curtis, a joy bucket. They actually don't pass an offering plate. It's like a bucket. It's about the size of a KFC bucket. Y'all been to KFC before and ate chicken, right? You stand with buckets of chicken? And so the pastor gets up and he says, we're going to call for the joy buckets to be distributed, and everybody jumps to their feet and starts to clap because they're excited about giving. You know what? They don't, they don't have a giving problem in that church because most of the people in that church remember what they've been saved from and what they've been saved to. Amen? And the reality of it is they want to give to the Lord. So they, I want you to know something else. Not only did they have an example, but they also had a purpose in why they gave. Paul had a reason. He said, complete what you started. We read that verse, verse 6, a moment ago. So we urge Titus, since he had made an earlier beginning, to also bring a completion to this act of grace on your part. In other words, what happened was, Titus had already been there before. And he had already asked the church at Corinth if they give. And the church at Corinth had started giving, but they didn't finish the offering. And so Paul's going back and he says, I want you to go back again, and Titus has been sent to you to complete what you started. Now there's not a man in this room that has any projects that they haven't completed yet at home, right? You got all your honeydew list done? I didn't think so. Uh, there's not anybody here that's got anything waiting on them at home that said, I got to do this when I get home. You see, we don't oftentimes finish what we start, and that's what happened at this church. They started to give, but they didn't finish, and Paul said, start when you start something, you need to finish what you started. And so he was sharing with them to go back and complete the offering. Go ahead and do that. I get an opportunity to go into a lot of churches that are predominantly black. Matter of fact, sometimes I go in, I'm the only white person there. And sometimes when I see in their church, and you might think this is a little odd, but it's back to the same principle, Josh, complete what you started. They'll pass the offering plate, and that's not enough to take care of the obligations of the church that week. They'll pass it again. And then they'll pass it again until they get enough. Because they're expecting people to give to the Lord's work to support the ministry of the church. And the church has responsibilities too. This, this building has to be maintained. You know, it, isn't it good that it finally got a little warm in here? And the reality of it is, is that, that that heating and air system has to be maintained. Those things have to cost money, just like they do at our homes. And that material you get in Sunday school costs money. And these things that take place in church that we enjoy, somebody has to give. And I want you to notice also that he said, not only complete what you start, but excel in your giving. Verse number 7, once again, you'll see there. As you excel in everything. In other words, Paul said, Church of Corinth, you're doing a good job in faith, speech, knowledge, and all diligence. 
and in your love for us. You're doing all those things well, but also excel in this act of grace, this act of giving. Paul points out areas that they excelled in, and now he says, would you excel in your giving? And then the last thing he said is that when you excel in your giving, what you're doing is proving your love for God. You see, God doesn't need money. Heaven's not run off money, is it? No way in Scripture do you see that God needs money. Heaven's not run off of money, operated off of money. God owns it all. He created it all. Why in the world would He give us money? He give us money so that we could prove our love to Him. That's the first way that we can prove our love for God is by how we give and how we handle the money that God gives us. He said in verse number 7 that we're to excel in this act of grace. I'm not saying this as a command in verse 8, rather by means of diligence of others. I'm testing the genuineness of your faith. My daddy used to have a phrase when he was in the living and worked in the construction business. He used to say this quite often. You may have heard it before. Put up or shut up. Anybody ever heard that phrase? Yeah. Put up or shut up. That's what Paul was saying to the church of Corinth. You started an offering, you didn't finish it. I'm sending Titus back. It's time for you to put up or shut up talking about God. And see, a lot of times people talk about how wonderful and how much they love God, but then they're stingy and they're giving. Interesting enough, the church that I pastored, the one and only church I pastored, was the Macedonia Baptist Church. Church grew. We had four times as many people there when I was pastor there than we had when I started. Four and a half, four years, we had grown quadrupled. We had five Sunday school classes meeting in the auditorium because we didn't have any more Sunday school rooms. Church had been started in the 1800s. It was still in the original, one of the original buildings. So we had a, a curtain. Pulled, it'd be like if I pulled a curtain down across half a you and said, you folks in the back, y'all two Sunday school classes and two in the front. And then we had one to quarrel off. We had a curtain across the front. And then we had one right down the aisle. And we made four, five classes out of Five adult classes. So we started a building program. And in the process of that building program, we got a contractor on there, got the only businessman we had in the church on there, and we started plans for a building. We got ready to finish the plans and go to the bank, and we had already found out that we could borrow the money. We had taken it to the church to vote, and the trustees had already approved that we could vote and borrow the money, and that we're going to take it to the church and tell them this is what we're going to do. We got there, and there was a little lady that was a member of the church. She never came to Sunday school. She always came to church. She felt like the mother of the church. And I've called for a vote, and she said, wait a minute. Why in the world are we going to spend all this money and we're going to do this and go to all this trouble? She said, we can't even fill up the Sunday school rooms we got. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, we already filled them up. People knew that. I'd already had the businessman re resign off the committee because he was opposed to us building the building because we didn't have half the money in the bank. And anytime he expanded his business, he said, I don't expand business until I got half the capital in the bank. 
That's why some of this capital has been here since Depression days. And we'll never get this building built if we don't, buy, if we don't borrow some money. And he dropped off the committee immediately, and the committee went ahead and said, we're going to take it to the church. So this lady put such a ruckus up that the motion was tabled to the following Sunday. And this is what happened. You know what happened that night? I got a call from her husband. 11.15, I'll never forget it. And he said, preacher, can you come over to the house? Well, he just lived about half a mile down the road. I said, yes, sir. I said, anything wrong? He said, yeah. He said, I got up to get Ruby and myself a cup of coffee. And he said, we always get a cup of coffee and watch the 11 o'clock news and go to bed. And I turned around and she slumped over in a rocking chair. She's dead. Miss Ruby was the lady that that morning had said, why are we going to borrow this money and build this building? She's gone. I got there at the same time the ambulance is pulling up, Nelda, and they're pulling up to take her body out the door of her home. We went to a conference the next Sunday, and guess what? Nobody voted against that building project. Now you might say, are you saying that God took her? I'm saying that maybe perhaps God realized that her time was over and that there was work to be done and God wanted his work. His work's going to go on regardless of whether you give or not. And the reality of it is, is we got to be committed to God and love him regardless and be willing to do the work that God's called us to do. There's some examples in the scripture of proving your love. Some might think, it's not scriptural for me to prove my love. Well, there's two examples, three I want to give to you. One is the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler? He claimed to love God more than anything. He came to Jesus, he said, what do I need to do to be one of your disciples? And Jesus said, sell everything you got, come follow me. How did he leave? The Bible says in Luke, Mark chapter 10, he left very sad because he had so many riches. Then the good Samaritan. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews, but who was it that the Samaritans stopped and cared for on the side of the road in the scriptures in Luke chapter 10 again. It was the Jewish man who had been beaten up and left for dead. The religious leaders didn't even take care of him. Others that were busy didn't take care of him. But the very man that was supposed to be, that he was supposed to, that he hated was the one that stopped and took care of him. And what did he do? He took him, put him on his donkey, took him and got him cared for until he was nursed back to health. The Samaritan cared for a Jew who he had been taught that the Jews hate you. But he didn't hate the Jew. He loved him and cared for him. He proved his love. And then you remember Zacchaeus? I remember singing in Beginners. Anybody remember when we had beginners in church? little group of guys, you know, preschoolers. We sang about Zacchaeus being a wee little man. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see God, Jesus, pass by. And what did Jesus do? He was a tax collector, and Jesus said, come down out of that tree, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your home today. And Zacchaeus proved his love for God and his son, Jesus Christ, who changed his life, and he took and he sold what he had and gave half of his possessions to the poor because he proved his love for God. The Macedonians proved their love by giving 
And now Paul, Paul wanted the Corinthians to do the same. And then we see the example of Jesus. The example of Jesus is verse number 9, and I'll close. You know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by poverty you might become rich. The greatest gift and greatest sacrifice of all times, Jesus. He was rich. He had everything in heaven, did he not? And he chose to become poor, come down from heaven, and give everything to us so that you and I might be rich and have the grace of God and the love of God in our lives and so that we'll have the promise of eternal life in heaven. Somebody missed a good point to say amen. God did that for us. Jesus demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Grace, saying in Jesus, voluntary, sacrificial. Though he was rich, he became poor. The benefit is, is that through his poverty, you and I have become rich. He could have had everything. He had everything. Think about it. He had everything. He gave up everything for you and I who had nothing and deserved death and hell because of our sins so that you and I could have everything that God's got. Folks, that's a blessing of what Jesus has done for us. We look at two passages of Scripture, one of the Old Testament, one of the New. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all went astray like sheep. We turned our own way, and the Lord has put on Him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. John 3, 16, God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. A few years ago, there was a pastor that took a mission trip to Tobago, to a leper colony. We don't hear much about lepers today, but in the U.S., one of the guys that helped me start a church a number of years ago actually was a doctor with the CDC and ran a leper colony in Louisiana. This church group went on a short-term mission trip to Tobago to this leper colony to minister to those that were in that area that were isolated because of their leprosy. And the pastor's name was Jack. And Jack got up and they had sang several songs and he had led the music, didn't have a music leader and they teach us in seminary just enough about how to lead music to make us dangerous. He led a song and then he got tired. He said, folks, it's time for one more song. Is there anything that you'd like to sing? And there was a lady that was in a wheelchair that was there that she never faced the pulpit area. She had always kept turned the other direction. And Jack said that she turned in her wheelchair toward him and he said he saw the most hideous looking person he had ever seen. Leprosy had already eaten off her nose. Leprosy had taken off her ears. And she had a hand that had already been stricken by leprosy. And she raised her hand and she said, Pastor Jack, would you please sing my favorite song, Count Your Blessings, name them one by one. Pastor Jack said he sang the song, they finished the song, and he left the service, and a team member followed him out to console him. And he said, Pastor, are you all right? He said, yes, but I'll never be able to sing that song the same way again. 
because of the commitment of that way. Here she was in her condition, and she was still saying, I'm counting my blessings of what God has done to me. So my question to you, my friends, is this. Whose example are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the church at Macedonia who begged for the opportunity of giving, who gave of themselves to the Lord? Are you going to follow the example of the Corinthians who had to be encouraged by Paul in this passage to start, what, finish what they started? And maybe today you're here and you need to follow the example of Jesus. He gave his life for you and you need to surrender your life to him. Garrett's going to come lead us in invitation in a moment. As God speaks to your heart, I invite you to come. Let's pray together.